truthfully, I have not given it a lot of thought. But if you knew that your time was coming soon, what final message, final pieces of wisdom, or life lessons do you want to urgently leave for those that you love to know and carry with them? Well, tonight we'll be starting a series on 2 Peter, in which the final words of the famous Apostle Peter are recorded. And over the next three weeks, we will see what Peter deems to be the most important things to pass on to the church. And not just important, but imperative to the lives of those who will be behind. And tonight, we will start by looking at why we can be confident in our faith. But before we start, we're going to dig into a bit of context. We're going to get our head around this letter, who wrote it, who it was written to, and the purpose it was written. So if you look down, if you have it in front of you, in verse 1, the writer of
also means we can do it confidently today, but these words are still relevant for us. We are also mainly Gentiles, non-Jews, who are outcasts and exiles in our And who, even though it may look a bit different then to now, still see persecution and trials in our culture, as we seek to follow Jesus. But so why is Peter writing this letter to these suffering and persecuted Gentile churches? Well, in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, he declares that he is coming to the end of his life. Flip down in chapter 1 to verse 12. It says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, so you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. See, Peter knows he will soon be putting aside his earthly body, meaning that he knows his death is imminent. He's coming to the end of his ministry, and this book is dated as his final letter to Christians. Based on the timing of the letter, he likely wrote this while in prison, awaiting his imminent execution in Rome. And so, Peter, persecuted and suffering himself, wrote his final letters to a persecuted, suffering church with a final reminder so that they may be established in the truth and able to endure and hold fast in this hostile world. And so, his words hold an urgency and they call us to listen. Will you listen? Let me pray and we'll dive into the rest of chapter one. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of two Peter. Lord, as we sit under your teaching tonight, help us to listen. Help us to be challenged by your word and to seriously think about what this means for our lives. Um, Lord, help me in my words to speak the words of So that they may endure. So in this chapter, Peter's going to take us. 
granting them to be a part of his kingdom. Look with me at verse 2. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Peter starts by reminding his readers where their faith has come from. Remember, these were newly planted churches of Gentiles whom Paul preached and discipled. And so they were changed in heart and mind, yet continuing to live in the culture they had grown up in. And so, navigating doubts and certainty would have been incredibly hard. But Peter starts this letter by reminding them that they can have confidence because it wasn't them that obtained their faith. It was God in his divine power that gave them all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, God has, in his complete power, given us all that we need to be a member of his family and join him in eternal life. And it's not because we have done anything, but because of what God has done for us. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> See, this points back to his first letter to them in 1 Peter. In chapter 2, verse 9, you might know this one is a very popular verse. Peter told them, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God is the one who has chosen them, making them his holy nation and people, whom he called out of darkness Peter says this again in verse 3. He reminds them, it is God that has given them all things pertaining to life. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us. Peter reminds them that it's through knowing Jesus that we can have life and godliness. See, God sent his son Jesus to this earth to make God known to us and to deal with the sins that separated us from God. It was all achieved in Jesus' death, which paid the penalty for our sins. This means we don't need to fear death because we are reconciled to God. See, Peter really wants his readers to understand that it is God who has revealed himself, God who has reconciled us to himself, and God who calls us his. He has granted to us his promises, changing us so that we may grow in our godliness. God has done it all. And we don't even have to earn it or even deserve it. Nothing is left for us to achieve in order to save ourselves. We can be confident because our faith and our identity as a daughter of Christ and all the blessings and the promises that come with that have been done by God himself through Jesus at the what a relief. See, if I needed to earn or continue to work through my life to earn my salvation, I would be in it. I would be stressed, and I know that I would ultimately fail. Because there's no way I can 
can guarantee that I can save myself. And this is hard for me because I'm a pretty self-sufficient person. I find a lot of comfort, maybe you do too, in being the one who does all the organizing and all the planning and all the doing for an event or party or anything because I can be in control of that. But without salvation, there's no way I can meet God's divine and perfect standards. So Peter reminds his readers that it's not about them and their actions. It's not about me and my actions. And it's not about you and your actions. God does the saving. God does the doing. He does this all in his grace, in his undeserved love towards us as a gift, which by nature is free of charge, otherwise it ceases to be a gift. In the same way today, God loves you and calls you freely as you are into his family to partake or to take on his divine nature so that we might have life through him and be marked with his godliness. Knowing this gives us a confidence and a peace that cannot fail. See verse 2 again. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. See, it's through God's grace in sending his Son and calling us back to him that we can have peace. We don't have to stress and worry about our salvation. It is secure in the hands of God. And there's nowhere else I want that to be. And because as members of God's family and partakers of his divine nature, we have, as it says in verse 4, escaped corruption that is in the world because of him who desired us. We are no longer slaves to sinful desire, trapped listening to the lies of the world that we have to be perfect, be good enough, do enough, be more to earn our way and secure our spot in heaven. For those here tonight who may be anxious, who struggle with doubts about your faith and your salvation, be confident that God is the one that does the work in changing your heart, granting you life and calling you his. So turn to him and hold fast to him. This is an awesome reminder from Peter to give to the church as they face suffering and pressure from the world around them to be confident in their faith and to know it is given them by God. And so let's move on to the second reason why we can be confident. See, Christians can be confident as we see growth and change in our lives, which confirms our salvation. Look down with me at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with Godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. But in this way, there will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord 
In other words, he's telling his readers to recall what was just said, that since we know God and that he has called us and granted us life and membership into his family, we need to actively put off our old self that did not know or follow God and be active in growing in knowledge and godliness. So if you look back at verse 4 through 5, it says that he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature. And so, in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. See, as members of God's family, we are partakers of his divine nature. Now, this doesn't mean we're divine, but this means that God has given us the ability to grow in our godliness and take on aspects of his divine nature. This is his and so in verse 5, it starts with faith. And when we have faith, we continue to grow in these godly attributes listed through verse 6 to 7. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, and finishing with the all-encompassing godlike trait, love. Peter states that a true growing faith will result in us loving others. Peter shows that if we know God and what he's done, we are to have a deep commitment to practicing and developing the same character traits that mark God's own divine nature. Making every effort to live a godly life as a lifelong response to God's grace and love for us. And this will supplement our faith. So think of a daily supplement. It's something that you can add into your day to boost your energy or your health in some way. In the same way, practicing these godly attributes is not something that will save you, but it can boost your faith and boost your confidence. And Peter goes on to explain why. Look again at verse 8. Growing in these attributes actually confirms our calling, meaning that the evidence of these in your life can give you confidence that you have been called and saved it's important to remember what we've already heard. It is God's work that saves us by His grace. We cannot save ourselves by doing. However, God gives us the ability to grow in these godly attributes, and when we see them present in our lives, we can be even more confident that God is continuing to change our hearts and bless us with His promises, giving us a confident faith and a confident how do we grow in these attributes? How do we actually practice these things? Let's go back to thinking about this plan. If you have been called by God, you have been planted in his soil. That has been done and that was not your doing. However, for the plant to grow from a seed to a plant healthy, it needs good and ongoing nourishment and feeding to grow from that little seed with strong fibres that will hold against the pests of the world in the test of time. And then, being the healthy and strong plant that it is, you will see it through the leaves and the flowers and the fruits it produces. For us, we can be confident when we see the evidence of these qualities listed from verse 5 to 7 in our lives, showing the health and strength of our faith, as well as 
your faith on from the morning you start right into in your heart. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter finishes this chapter by saying that the readers can confidently trust the Bible and trust what it's saying because this word contains truth from God himself. Not a myth, not a man-made story. This isn't made up, and it gives us evidence why. See, in verse 16 to 18, Peter reminds them that his teaching comes from eyewitness experience. Remember, he knew Jesus. He saw Jesus in action healing. He saw Jesus raising from the dead. He saw Jesus and heard Jesus in all of his Remember, this is the Peter that was with Jesus all through his ministry. And he points out in this passage a particular moment when he was with Jesus on the mountain and Peter himself heard the voice of God confirming that Jesus was his son, that Jesus was who he said he was. See, Peter is able to give us a reliable, first-hand account of the truth. However, we don't just have to take Peter's word for it. See, he also points to the fact that Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he achieved, was prophesied in the word of the Old Testament. Now, as I mentioned before, you may know some of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Joel, Jeremiah, and many others. And they were all given from God messages to proclaim that a Messiah would come and save, making a way for us to know God and be a part of his family. Now, this is a passion of mine. I love the Old Testament. But there are over 150 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. All of which are fulfilled in Jesus' life as recounted in the Gospels. See, Peter in verse 19 says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. And he can say that because these prophecies were fulfilled in front of his eyes. These weren't just man-made words spoken by these prophets. What they said came to pass. And this is why Peter so confidently says then in verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us that we can trust the Old Testament because those words were all fulfilled and shown in the life of Jesus. He says we can trust the New Testament because they were written by eyewitnesses, people who knew Jesus and can attest to the truth of his life and his teaching. Ultimately, we can trust the Bible. And so, Peter reminds us that all his words are not from a man, but from God himself through the Holy Spirit. See, perhaps Peter knew that it would be hard for these Gentile churches to trust in something they'd never seen. That it's easy to doubt. Maybe he knew that other people would try to point out flaws in Jesus' life or convince him that Jesus was just a really good guy and not the son of God. See, we can all relate to having doubts. Therefore, Peter. 
Thank you.